This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. How influential are the influencers? Today we explore the reach and impact of social media influencers with our guests, Anna Monaco and Jen Friel, along with our panelist, Danny Mann. I am Louise Blanker. This is Things I Found Online, and welcome guests and panel. It's interesting that the uh, guests outnumber the panel today. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about social influencers. Before before we do that, uh, I do have to vent. The reason my guests are not in studio today is a little thing I call Trump traffic. So what happens is when Trump comes to Beverly Hills, he's got one friend here, and apparently that friend lives on my street because whenever Trump is in town, all of all traffic leading to me shuts down. People just get exhausted, turn around and go back home sobbing. So that is what happened today. Danny made it because he's coming from the valley. Of course, any guests coming from the west side can't get past Sunset or Beverly Glen. I come from the or, left side or, of the map. Or, 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 or Mulholland. <laughs> yeah. And so our guests turned around and went home and jumped on their Zoom video conferencing. And so here they are. And we have photographs of them to display while they are talking. We'll animate them later in post. <laughs> put, put a little mouth on it, like a sock puppet mouth. All right. So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about social uh, media influencers. Social media influencers have a significant presence on Instagram and YouTube. It's a lucrative business that's changing the advertising industry and to some extent the culture at large. At this point, the terms Instagram and influencer seem inextricably tied. And those who follow influencers on social media may develop a one-sided relationship that becomes part of their own personal identity, such as people have traditionally done with celebrities, actors, and musicians, etc. As a kid, my self-expression space was limited to my bedroom wall. As a young adult, bumper stickers. Oh yeah, I have a car and an opinion about not being able to hug a child with nuclear arms. Uh, today, <laughs> does anyone remember that Bumper sticker? No. Okay. You can't hug a child with nuclear arms. Okay. Very 80s. Okay. Today, an Instagram user may have once defined themselves in terms of their personal photography style or what they chose to post. But now the content you consume on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter, et cetera, becomes an extension of your self-expression. Our purchasing habits are inherently connected to our sense of self and identity. Recently, Tavi Gevinson, the woman who created the iconic rookie blog at the age of 15, wrote the following in The Cut about Instagram suggesting that her integrity may have been undermined by the app. Now remember, this is a influencer who was kind of growing up in the space and developing her sense of self while she was consuming all of this content. And she writes, my propensity to share, perform, and entertain has melded with a desire far more cynical to be liked quantifiably for an idealized version of myself at a rate not possible even 10 years ago. I think I am a writer and an actor and an artist, but I haven't believed the purity of my own intentions ever since I became my own salesperson too. So uh, because of this aspect of being an influencer, it's a term that unless you are a Bachelor in Paradise cast member has taken on some negative <laughs> connotations. We are, <laughs> we are exploring all of this today with our guests, Anna, Lydia, Monaco, and Jen Friel. Now, Jen, am I pronouncing your name correctly? This is a question I would have asked you in the green room had you been here in person. <laughs> 
You are, and thank you so much, because oh. uh, it gets mispronounced a lot, so thank you. If you uh, say it too fast, it sounds like a disease. I'm sorry. But... Jen Friel? It's been, it's been my whole life. My, <laughs> yeah. my name's been Jen Friel, like basically from the womb. It's never been Jen or anything else other than Jen Friel, one word. You know what it sounds like to me, Jen? It sounds like like the next generation that we're going to name babies. I'm sorry, but you have Anna Lydia. It's like she's from Jen Friel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she doesn't. So anyway, like we because now we're at Gen Z and the next is going to be Jen Friel. Don't we going to start uh-huh. over at A? Oh, maybe. But we were, you know, we have baby boomers. They didn't always have letters of the alphabet. I know. <sighs> All right. So Anna Monaco worked in PR and marketing for many years. And in 2011, she founded the Latina Lifestyle Blogger Collective, hashtag LLblog, a group that provided support and business opportunities to the Latina blogger community. It was the only group of its kind in its mission and operation. And it was very successful in accomplishing its goals. And there it is. Thank you. Yeah. And would you like to talk uh, to us a little bit about that, Anna? Oh, yeah. Basically, the Lifestyle Bloggers Collective or the Latina Lifestyle Bloggers Collective um, became a, a, came to life because my clients, Macy's, Disney, Corona, and others, started to see that I would include, we didn't call them influencers at the time, we called them bloggers. And vloggers really didn't exist and Instagram didn't exist. So we called them bloggers and bloggers were creating their own way to reach out to people, basically like their own little digital magazines. And I started to inviting to invite them to events. And what my clients were telling me time and time again was that they were not prepared. They weren't professional. They didn't have the experience of, say, a journalist because, in essence, they weren't journalists. And in order for me to continue to invite these bloggers to events, they needed to be trained. And in order for them to be trained, I started creating a a collective of sorts with some of my favorite and well-known bloggers and focus mostly on Latina lifestyle bloggers, which is fashion, travel, entertainment. Like I created that term and I brought them in a Facebook group and gave them tips and advice and input from my clients and told them, this is what you do when you go to events, this is how you dress, et cetera, et cetera. When that wasn't enough, I created a conference. And um, this is when I really found out the power of, of these women. So we went to Las Vegas. And at the time, it was only like 80 bloggers in this group, which is nothing, right? Even back then, it was nothing. And it was only 20 of us in Las Vegas. And I rented out a suite at a hotel. And there was a huge conference happening at the same hotel at the same time. There was so many mentions, so many tweets, so many like Facebook updates, et cetera, that the social media company that was managing this hotel saw it and upgraded our room to like the top suite at the hotel because they're like, oh my God, we're getting so many mentions. And this is back like 10 years ago, nine years ago, before anybody else did it. So, you know, following year, I brought it to LA, it got bigger, the group got bigger. Um, By the time I shut down the collective, I had five conferences, um, close to a thousand people that had attended my conference, tons of brand partnerships, including with like major magazines and digital sites, tons of women like we're talking like at least a couple hundred women they got jobs 
face of the Lifestyle Bloggers Collective. They got promoted, that got, you know, their site blew up because of what we did, because our focus was always on the business side of being a blogger. We oh, never even wow. called them influencers at all. Does that make um, you an influencer influencer? The way I saw it and I still see it is you cannot call yourself an influencer. It's somebody else that does. Uh, oh. you, can, you know, it's like you're a blogger, you're a writer, you're a photographer. You're not an influencer. How, who are you influencing? And, if, um, and you saw my deck. Um, Louise, yeah. in terms of the type of information that I provided, Johnson and Johnson was one of my clients um, that I would provide to them. This is how many you know members are in this collective. This is their reach. This is the type of viewership, readership, or whatever they have, and this is the ROI that you're going to get. Because wow. I had the background in PR and mm -hmm. in marketing, so I knew exactly what these brands were looking for. And most of these women, and again, at the time, we're talking like nine years ago, eight years ago, they didn't, I mean, the difference between lifestyle and mom bloggers is very different because at the time, mom bloggers had peaked. This was the peak of the mom blogger community. So everybody was looking at mom bloggers. Mm. I went the complete 180 and said, I'm not interested in mom bloggers. I think mom bloggers are great, but they're not the type of, you know, they're not the type of um, online, um, online resource and online magazine that needs to be partnered up with certain brands. For, mm. Forgive they're me. What's the, what's the term you're using there? Mom, mom, M O M mom bloggers. It, it, yeah. Mom bloggers. Mom, like mom. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like the height of the mom blogger community. There was like mom yeah. blogger conferences, mom blogger events. This was my conference was a first event for lifestyle. Bloggers. Why are they called mom bloggers? Cause what's they're that? moms and they blog. And when you're they, a mom, your yeah. baby's crying. You can't go anywhere. You just go online and it's helpful. Okay. Okay. Right. So, so basically mom bloggers, the way many of them, and this is not for everyone is they I'm not a mom so I don't know this personally but they are up late at night breastfeeding their kid changing mm -hmm. diapers they go don't go anywhere they really don't have a life so they're reaching out to you know to like the world like hey I need to connect with someone mm. that knows how to be a mom that knows how to put a baby to bed that knows how to mm -hmm. feed a child that knows what happens after childbirth and and all the little different details. And in between all that, let me tell you about this great diaper I found. Yeah. And yeah. let me tell you about this great hotel that is great for families and super cheap. And let me share some coupons on top of that. Yeah. So that, that was like the whole mom blogger community. <laughs> on the other hand, lifestyle bloggers are very different. And again, I had the stats to prove it. So I'm not just talking off of my head, but there was actual stats that like 90, I think it was like 95%. You have the deck of the people in the lifestyle blogger space had careers, were college educated, mm -hmm. you know, and this was a way for them to share a talent or something that they were really interested in. Mm -hmm. So many people went into fashion or they would talk about an entertainment, travel and culture. So it was a completely different way of communicating and it was a different type of community mom bloggers reach out to other moms that's what it was mm -hmm. i mean if you're not a mom you're not going to go to a mom blogger like you know blog there's nothing in there for you to read if you're a lifestyle blogger you're going to get some moms that are looking at your content if mm -hmm. you're talking about 
I don't know, let's talk randomly about clothes, plus size clothes. I mean, there's a huge community of plus size bloggers out there because, you know, you're not seen in media. You're, you're basically erased. You're invisible. So therefore, you know, there was a burgeoning of plus size bloggers Mm -hmm. and many of them have developed brands and have changed the way um, plus size clothes are marketed to plus size women, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That all was created because of lifestyle bloggers, mm-hmm. lifestyle fashion entertainment. So at that time, the majority of us had careers, had a college education, we had disposable income. So we were talking about things that we actually did. Mm-hmm. There was nobody handing us, handing off trips, you know, so we can like, go off to Bali for free because we were actually making money and we were paying for our own things. You know, brands weren't sending us $500 purses. We were buying them. Mm -hmm. And that's what made us very, very different. The mom bloggers wanted something because they couldn't buy it. You know, they're Uh, they're now spending money on their kids. Mm -hmm. We're, we have money. So we're buying it for ourselves. So you're buying babies. I see. (laughs) No. Wow. That jet lag. Well, <laughs> yeah, which is very different than what, you know, influencers, and this is why a lot of them get a lot of flack. And, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes they deserve it. Because if you're saying you're a travel influencer, and you are influencing others to travel to these other locations, but you have never purchased a plane ticket yourself or paid for these hotels, wow. and yet your 10,000 likes have amounted to zero hotel reservations. What are you influencing? Mm-hmm. I think you're, 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 not, yeah. you're not. Well, we're going to jump to Jen Friel really quickly uh, so that we can get her all introduced. Uh, Jen Friel is the CRO of Drop-In Inc. and creator of Talk Nerdy to Me. Lover, a new media relationship blog. I don't know if it was just new when your Wikipedia page came out. I don't think it's still new, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Jen? Well, new media in general. I just I document a lot of adventures. Oh, new and, media. And going back to yeah, new media. Is, it's kind of like another term for it's social, term. but it's Got but it. it's so interesting in terms of what you were just saying that the majority of lifestyle bloggers uh, and people in the space in the very early days. I I. I've been in tech my entire life. I had my first company when I was eight. I was an early adopter on Prodigy. What took like you so long? People were on it. I know, right? It was so lazy. A lazy baby whose mother was up all night on parenting blogs. (laughs) Yeah, but it was was incredible because all it took, I knew that influencer marketing was going to be a thing. And so I actually did the exact opposite. I didn't have a career. I started my website to have it as a resume being like, all right, I'm just going to timestamp my ideas and see what happens. I also have brass balls, full disclosure. And so I just had just this, this uh, ability to just execute things and get things done um, that, you know, I was also very afraid of as well, but I just kept doing it. And then that's where people would start to approach me to be like, Hey, like Ford, for example, you know, after I crashed the Grammys Ford, I was part of the Fiesta movement. So I was like, well, if I can get a car, what else can I get? So I never paid for anything. I did not have, you know, uh, I've never even went to college. I finished high school when I was 16. So I've just seen this space from a very different perspective and sort of built the business around it. And then um, and then was telling everyone in Hollywood and, and people that would listen to me sort of what those thoughts were. All right. Well, I have a few uh, what I call FFFs. These are fascinating real facts. And um, <laughs> these will help. Uh, these will help our listeners understand you uh better and they they did help i found these all on wikipedia so it's online you can so check. this true. is i'm not making any of this up okay number one <laughs> as a teen 
Jen's legal team, including her father, Michael, and West Hartford attorney, Owen Egan, set legal precedent in the state of Connecticut, securing four lifetime restraining orders against former classmates. Oh, my gosh. Number, number two. Yeah, I would stop there and ask a question, but I can't. Cause Why there's, not? Because there's more. Oh. Number two, Jen sold most of her possessions and bartered via social media to make ends meet while founding her blog, Talk Nerdy to Me Lover. I uh, I have a thousand questions on each of these t- uh, FFFs, including, and Danny may have some as well, what was your most bold barter move, and are those four little brats adhering to their restraining order? I, I'm actually, I can and can't talk about certain aspects of that. Okay, uh, understood. But it started October 8th, 2001, and it was in a horrific life experience. I hope none of you ever get stalked, let alone stalked by your best friends. Um, but it taught me this, this inner strength that I still have to this day. I mean, I stood up, I finished high school when I was 16, but I was still legally a student while all of this was occurring. So even though I was going about, about with my life, they were shocking me. And, uh, and I went to the principal and just still to this day, I remember it so vividly just shouting to him. I was like, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going to end up dead. Oh and um, even getting my high school diploma. I mean, I had to be seated away from my class. I had half the West Harper police department there. And I just remember crying going in being like, they told me they would shoot me. Like this is, this is the, this is going to be my last move. But I was like, mm-hmm. I've worked so hard for my grades no one will take this from me. Why, wow, why were you being stalked? Wow. Is that a dumb question? Yeah, what, yeah, what age, what age are you when this starts? Just a little I'm bit. I'm 16. Yeah, oh, I was, God. I was 16 and they were, they were uh, very, very close friends of mine. Um, one in particular. And, you know, I mean, it, everybody asked why, which is so interesting. I don't know. It was, uh, it just, the experience was what it was. I obviously don't instigate things. It's not like I was coming at them with any sort of anything other than love. And, and also too, I was moving on with my own life because I was finishing high school early, which I helped them a lot with their grades. So I think for them, there was a lot of resentment. You know, I, I can't, I can't explain from their perspective hmm. what it was, but, but the judge and police officer, officer Schwab, uh, who's still an amazing person and, and Owen Egan's actually now a judge. So you can research all this, but they got so ticked off by it that everything became very personal to the judges. And so it was, you know, my, my father being an attorney who had a homie from elementary school that, you know, loved his, his pal dearly that just worked their butts off. And I talked to the juvenile advocate, uh, the following year, a year after everything was said and done, cause I had to go through the civil and the criminal trial. And, um, the juvenile advocate told me, he's like countless, you know, young girls are now getting able to get restraining orders in a same sexual relationship because and I had to, I had to explain on the stand too technology because we couldn't subpoena yeah. we couldn't subpoena some of the AOL sub profiles and and AOL profiles that they were po- posting these messages on. So now my heart hurts even more for people with social media and Facebook because for me that's all that they were doing. It was it was a bunch of you know kind of more of a subculture thing where someone would publicly post something and and you know send all these emails very threatening. But it, like now everything is is ranked. So all that stuff wow. that the girls did to me like I never thought about like ever having that indexed. It was just, they got the order and, the, and they were allowed to indirect or direct contact was what they were saying. Is, is that states. kind of a thing, sort of a byproduct of the fact that, that this, that your generation all kind of grew up with all the social media and email and all that stuff so that everybody's into everybody's like kind of everybody knows what everybody's up to and everybody's, yeah. everybody's kind of watched and followed. So it's, it's kind of almost it's like riper to occur. Yeah, I think the temptation and also that parents aren't really aware if they didn't grow up with social media that the extent of it, that mm-hmm. people are writing, you need to just die and you need to kill yourself. The extent of the bullying, 
are, are things that people would not say to your face. Am I right about that, Jen? Oh, no. they. I mean, they, they did it to my face oh, as well. Oh, they did? Okay. Uh, it was just, oh, yeah, they were very physical. Uh, they showed up at multiple places that I worked. And I worked in different cities at the time because I was juggling two jobs to save money to go to New York City. So, I mean, you know, these girls were, were of a different breed. And, and where I am in Connecticut, they had access to a, a lot of things that not a lot of other people would have access to which is why this case was taken so seriously. And I'm so proud of it. But, you know, the, the parents knew we obviously there, there's a really great book as well called uh, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, mm-hmm. which actually teaches you how to assess and identify uh, levels of, of a threat. Because right. sometimes someone just wants attention. So if you right. give them a restraining order, it's actually not gonna, you know, negate the situation. So I'm, I'm just very lucky. One, I'm lucky to be alive. And two, you know, very lucky that now countless, like I said, young women in Connecticut can actually get a restraining order because I was just told that this is a cat fight. This is going to blow over. And I was like, no, threatening to kill someone and then showing up with a bunch of goons at your door. That's not really just an, a, really? a casual threat. Yeah, I think it's wow. a test of character, too, that you had uh, your feet to the fire at such a young age that taught you who you were. Uh, before a lot of people find out what they're made of. I mean, a lot of people have difficult childhoods, for sure. But you really were challenged, and you rose to it. And how did that inform you moving forward? It may have it may have been the impetus for some of the bold choices you were about to make. Absolutely. Like, it was, it was actually kind of amazing. I had a nervous breakdown when I was 22. Because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody goes through what they go through, you know, with their family stuff. And and I, I was living in New York City at age 17. And, and, like, basically was like this little teeny adult, but didn't go through college. So I didn't have a certain social aspects of things. I didn't understand how to process my own emotions. I was really good at like, again, having brass balls showing up, doing something, whatever, literally the phrase, whatever it takes runs very deep in my blood. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I had to, it was that nervous breakdown. It was such a beautiful like breakthrough. And I I talked my way out of a 5150. I was only locked up for 48 hours instead of 72. And, um, I got released and the doctor told me, he's like, you're super, super smart and you're super creative. He goes, you're literally going to run yourself into a brick wall. If you can't figure out what you want to do with your life, and and I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I just didn't know kind of how to do it. How to get there? No, yeah, that's a yeah. Comic. There's no college courses for being in tech and entertainment. There was, I mean, there are aspects of it, but in terms of the the entertainment side of it, which I've always been a storyteller and a writer, I just didn't have as many options. So I had to learn how to create my own. So oddly, giving everything up that I owned was like the most logical next step that that I could take. So talk for mm. a moment about talk nerdy to me lover. How did you come up with that? And uh, what is it now? If we go <laughs> to search that online, what, what will we find? <laughs> I'm so proud of talk nerdy to me lover. We added its peak. It's still one of the worst design websites on the planet. So well, that's something. Oh, it's horrible. Congrats. It's so hilarious that it sold to Jerry Bruckheimer and, and, and a four-way bidding war between ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. Because I'm grandfathered in, so I'm a friend of Squarespace. I didn't, when I had $10 to my name, I was very serious, so I couldn't afford hosting for the website. So I'm deeply grandfathered in on Squarespace, so I have to do like a full export and, and move over. Shouldn't so you be grandmothered in? No, you're always yeah. grandfathered. <laughs> right, I'm just asking. I want to be me too. No, grandpa right. takes care of that. Right. Don't worry. We we, uh, we had 75 writers at its peak and talked about nerd sex and tech, but it was so funny because there was this competition in the beginning when everybody had their blogs out to like review tech tech uh, toys or gadgets and or to like talk about all these different conferences, get passes to conferences. I was like, why is no one talking about the after party? 
I was like, why is someone <laughs> talking about like their experience? So, you know, let me tell you these, you know, stories that I still can't even believe I lived half of them, but they're all insanely true. And, um, and then it was neat because I found kind of my tribe and my people with really expressing myself. Like I, I wouldn't, you know, be in the stuffy section. Everyone knew that like wherever I was, like cool stuff would happen. So like I kind of attracted some really amazing people through it. And, uh, and it was the best decision I've ever made with my life, even though my parents might agree otherwise. <laughs> so you were the next, you were the next generation of uh, nerdy something. Yeah, but, but it was so funny because at first everyone was like, there's no way you're a nerd because I was also a model and um, I was on Deal or No Deal. I'm still on the Snork Tees website, but that's what took, that's why I, I sort of saw the influencer marketing before it was a thing because I was like, well, I could wear a t-shirt. I was working for one of the founders of MySpace uh, from live video at the time, Brad Greenspan, and uh, I was a plant on site, had 600,000 subscribers and I was like, well, why can't I just wear a t-shirt, like take a picture, post it or have it in my live stream? I was like, why can't I just go to cool companies and see if this is a thing? And that was so far ahead of the curve. I had no idea, wow. but, um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. You are prescient. Can uh, I just, yeah. uh, just a quick, she mentioned t-shirt here and I just, yeah. did, I, I don't you know if you guys, or what? no, if you, did you hear this story this week about the little kid in school who made up a, a university of, I think, Tennessee, he, oh, yeah. he made that, he made up like a dorky little t-shirt. Everybody bullied him. He got bullied. The team found out about it. They brought him in. They took his design. Oh. They, it sold. It sold thousands from and thousands. zero to hero story. Oh, it, it's an amazing yeah. story where the team, where the school stood up for this kid that got bullied. I didn't hear about it because Danny. I don't know if you heard about me, but I've been in Australia. You, I knew something was different about you, and I. She's yeah. got this down under. I want to talk her. about hashtag LL blog because uh, <laughs> Anna has your brand gone from being a blog brand to being a hashtag brand where it can be used across mediums or media eyes. Yeah. Right. Well, it was until, you know, LL Blog no longer exists in, in terms of what it was and, and what it is now, because it, it was just time for it to, I want to say it was time to just, you know, go on and, mm -hmm. and move on. And because I had done what I could do with the community, mm -hmm. there's still people that hashtag LL Blog once in a while. The private Facebook group still exists there. You know, I still have friends from that time that are very, very close to me. Brands still reach out to me because there's very few people that have like that brand advertising, marketing, PR background that can create these campaigns. Um, because sometimes when you go to these brands, they do require that you have some kind of experience and some kind of resume to run, you know, multi-thousand dollar campaigns. Mm -hmm. So I do get those calls. I forward them on to people that I know. And hey, do you have this opportunity? I have this opportunity. Like when you were looking for someone like Jen, I just posted in, you know, the various communities that I'm still a member of. But LO Blog, what it was, we peaked. And I wanted just to, you know, say goodbye to it instead of, you know, it continuing to live and slowly die. So right. I ended it on a really high streak that I'm super proud of. Awesome. I have a question for both guests. Uh, if you had not grown up in the age of the internet or social media, w like flashback and be yourself at a different time, what do you think you both would be doing? Um, I actually, it's funny. I found this recently. Um, I have an actual photo album where I would take notes, um, on like the, the small pieces of paper. I would jot down everywhere I went, what I ate. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm like, enjoy this, enjoy the show. I actually have at one point and I would outline exactly where we were going on our trip. In this case, it was DC. And I had, it was, it was blogging like version 1.0 where like there wasn't even a computer, but that's how my brain processed information at such an early age, I would get 
a, I would get a little pamphlet for everywhere I went. I would post my, um, my pictures in it and I just did it for myself. But like, that's, I'm literally, I was born to be doing what I was doing and yeah. what I am doing and, uh, indicative of the tech. I always imagine yeah. that if I were born in olden times that I'd be like working at a gazette as a typesetter and I'd be like the person <laughs> that put together, I don't know, the the community newspaper or the pamphlet that was dropped Louise, off. Louise, hurry up. We need another yeah. comma. Yeah, I always imagine I'd be somehow in journalism if there yeah. were no if yeah. there were no entertainment business, I'd I'd be a journalist. I ended up where I always wanted to be, like as you both know and your and your listeners know, I went back to film school. Yeah. And I'm doing exactly what I've always wanted to do, which is visual storytelling. And mm. this is something that it's a childhood dream. Um, in terms of doing marketing and PR and everything, that was just a way for me to start. To, that get, was, to get where you're, you know, you're, wasn't a, yeah. yeah, to get where I'm at right now yeah. and where I'm going when continuing to go. Are you finding where you're going as you go as a development out of what you're doing? Or do you both have sort of goals in sight down the line that you know you want to get to at some point? Have you guys seen that like cute little meme where it says, you know, the way you think your goals are going to happen and it's like a straight line? the way your goals happen is like this squiggly line. Is it a Sharpie? That's, is it a Sharpie line? It's like a little Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. Like it shows like a line going up and then the next block is like a little squiggly line. And this is really how life is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say that as much as you say, like I'm doing everything to go towards my goal, there's always going to be things that I, I don't see them as a setback, but that teach you something that you that you learn to take you to that next step. Right. Or you end up doing a project that you, you know, like my first PA projects, like who wants to be a PA? Nobody goes to, you know, back to film school, you know, goes from an executive and then back to school, film school. You're to talking to two ex-PAs yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both of us I, did that. So you know that. Like, oh, you're like, I've oh retrieved God. a lot of coffee. Yeah. You're like, yes. I don't want to do this. But then you realize like, oh, I am here because I met somebody and I got to do this or I got to meet somewhere. So sometimes it doesn't look that way. But if you're really smart yep. and you're really strategic, you know how to make those opportunities bigger Absolutely. and to take it to that next level. Be yeah. nice to so everybody on the way up because you're going to run into all of them on the way down. Oh my God! Ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, we're gonna return really from we're gonna return uh, just for a brief moment to the FFFs. Fascinating real facts. Uh, here is number Sounds three. Like my report with cards. a grand savings of ten dollars, Jen visited twelve states, crashed the twenty ten Grammy Awards to meet Pete Cashmore, founder of Mashable dot com, danced on stage with Prince, and went out on over one hundred three dates in nine months, documenting the organic route of attraction using the OK Cupid algorithm. Can you report on your findings, Jen? Yes. Uh, so, OkCupid, back in the day, I had a compatibility prerequisite. So it wasn't the swiping. This was pre all of that. This was like 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a compatibility prerequisite that I never published where if I was into a guy or girl, um, if I was into this person and I had, you know, like, again, this compatibility prerequisite, I would say I would go out on a date with them. And I was like, if you buy me a beer, I'll give you a hug because I didn't want there was a big story out at the time about this chick on match who like got like $30,000 worth of free dinners. And I thought, that people, <gasps> yeah, it was, it was so douchey. And I thought that's how people would think that, the, uh, that I'm surviving. And so I was like, no, this isn't it at all. So there were 103 dates. Uh, there were 11 second dates. Uh, there were six guys I slept with and there were four that I wanted more from. More you were a stats girl. I was going to say, you should be doing color for MLB. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was amazing because I wrote like my, after I kind of added everything up, it was, it was so organic too. I was 98 dates in in eight months. 
before one of my Twitter followers, I used, I used the documentation of where I was in social media as a way to keep me safe. So it was actually a way to almost say to stalker like people, like I, I took the the wind out of their back because if they would show up, I'd be like, hey, who are you? Want to get a want to get a drink? Like people found it a little less interesting. So it was actually a way for me to stay safe. And this individual was like, I think it's been a lot. And I was like, wow, I just did ninety eight dates in eight months. And, people uh, in people in Indio haven't had that many dates. <laughs> <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was a lot of fun, and it was it was beautiful. A modern day shaman read it afterwards, and he's still to this day one of my best friends on the planet. I love that man so much. Wow. So he helped me with my emotional unavailability and uh, using Reiki and, um, and he changed my life. So I'm, I'm super grateful Lessons. All because I said yes, when he reached out, which was like super sketchy. Cause like who calls himself a modern day shaman, but there yeah. is modern day shaman. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Save that business card. Modern day influencers are modern pre day shaman. Versus yeah. a vintage shaman. <laughs> modern day influencers are predated by lifestyle bloggers. As we've been discussing uh, in her medium mm -hmm. post, bring back the blog, Carol, Carolyn Stefko contrasts the rise of Instagram to traditional blogging, and she writes, microblogging is a completely different experience, one that feels less substantial and intrinsically forgettable. That intangible wonder I felt when I tucked into a meaty blog post was nowhere to be found on Instagram. In essence, mm -hmm. we all tend to be currently consuming less meaningful content and more legs on vacation photos. Uh, Anna, what are your thoughts on this? Was there m much that LL Blog achieved or promoted that seems like a more distant concept by today's standards? Absolutely, completely distant, distant concept. Again, mm -hmm. remember, LL Blog was created to develop lifestyle bloggers to become business people, mm -hmm. to develop those relationships with brands that would then hire them or give them the opportunity to blog or create campaigns for money. That was always the intention. When Instagram first started, the way I saw it and the way some people in the creative like film photography industry saw it, we saw it as a, a place to find inspiration. Somehow, some way, someone figure out, figured out the algorithm and thought like, hey, let me, you know, throw a branded photo with me wearing a t-shirt and a funky little caption mm. and I'm going to buy people's likes um and i'm gonna pay for somebody else to comment and i'm gonna show this to a brand and i am then gonna get paid campaigns and that is happening to this day mm -hmm. people still game the algorithm still pay for likes still pay for comments and people that have worked in the marketing pr branding industry can look at that and we can tell like it's fake and this doesn't necessarily belong here but mm -hmm. that's what instagram has become Unfortunately, brands are stuck between a rock and a hard place where they are almost forced to work with certain people, even though those people don't have authentic likes wow. or authentic comments because they need those, even if they're fake numbers. And I'll give you a really, fake numbers. a very real example. One of the brands that I work with was a, a car company mm -hmm. and a lot of the bloggers were coming to me like, how come this one blogger is getting these paid opportunities if all of her likes and comments are fake and her followers are fake? How come? We all know this. Like, it was not a secret. Mm -hmm. So at the conference, I approached the car company and I asked her, why do you work with this person? Uh -huh. If her comments are fake, her likes are fake, her followers are fake. And she still works, by the way. And the car company rep came back to me and said, because we like her. 
Uh-huh. So some people know, we know I can look at somebody's, you know, Facebook, I can look at somebody's Instagram account and like within 20 seconds, I can tell you what is fake and what is real. How can you tell that? And, How do you know that? The engagement. Uh, the A, the engagement, B, where the followers are from, mm. the number mm. of hashtags, the way they tag things. Mm. I mean, there's so many different, I mean, people sell like their expertise to tell you, but if you ever want to know, like, is this person real? Give me a call. I'll tell you very quickly. <laughs> You're the they're authenticator. A, yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, um, you guys are like blog detectives. Real. I mean, that yeah. you know that you notice that and can filter that. Uh, oh yeah, you totally can. And one of the things I did with LL Blog is that if I, and that's what, how I curated the community and a lot of people were very, very, very upset because hmm. at the time there wasn't an application process to join a group. Like, how dare I create an application process, a code of ethics, and a curation process to be even included in LL Blog? Like, who dare? Well, did people you know, feel like you dare? were rocking their boat? I mean, that you... I was so rocking their boat. <laughs> I was like literally saying we should have similar like journalists have a code of ethics uh. that you sign, you know, when you become a real journalist, bloggers, if you want to become real business minded bloggers, we should do this as well. Uh. People were like up in arms, like, how dare internet I plus ethics? I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, there was a code of ethics, there was an application process. As soon as I saw that somebody was gaming the system, buying likes, buying, they were out. They were out of the group um, and you saw, you know, the type of package that I would send, you know, it's a little dated, but you could see the type of information I would give to brands. Like I knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Like this is a type of, you know, a blogger that is part of this community. And this is why you need to work with them. It's because, you know, they're being professionally trained and it wasn't just by me. I would bring in people from the advertising space, from the agency space, from the brand space, from the media space. I brought in lawyers. I brought in experts in different fields so they can train these women. They weren't like the people that you see now where they're like, Um, coaches. They're Mm -hmm. like business coaches. And you're like, well, how did you become a business coach? Like I literally brought in actual lawyers, actual agents, actual like, and we're talking people that worked at fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. They they were real. Mm -hmm. And these girls, these women got real training that I, like I said, a lot of them ended up with really great opportunities and jobs and um, things that they wouldn't do Otherwise, now conferences are not the same. Blogger conferences are all about like, let's give a blogger the experience of a manicure and a pedicure oh in bed and mm-hmm. give them breakfast in bed and let's give them swag. Mm-hmm. Like our conference was not that. Right. And as I saw the industry moving towards that experience. What was of, that alternate? What was that other experience giving those people though? A pedicure. They were giving a pedicure. You, they, they were just yeah. trying to make what cash. What about this you not get, Danny? Well, no, yeah, but they were taking your money just to give them like a, a dazzling Well, it's weekend. like pampering and it's like stuff that they think will look good on social media. And they uh, know that every exactly. pet, every pedicure gets tweeted out. And so yeah, it's not just exactly. one person's feet. It's the eyeballs exactly. of everyone looking at one person's feet. Exactly. We're, we're going to have to break so, for commercial really quick. Hold that thought, Anna, uh, okay. and we'll be right back. Okay. Hey, I'm Zach. And I'm Kevin. And we're the hosts of the Rinkside Podcast. We were annoyed by the lack of hockey coverage on local sports radio and decided that we were stupid enough to try and provide some ourselves. We have what we call the rinkside guarantee. 
We guarantee that the podcast you're currently listening to is better than ours. We are literally just two halves of one whole idiot trying to fumble through covering the Detroit Red Wings, the National Hockey League, and hockey in general. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Ringside Pod, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast providers. Every time you listen to our podcast, it brings us one step closer to our ultimate business goal of purchasing the Arizona Coyotes and then moving them to Detroit. <laughs> what? Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming, or just another commercial. We aren't the ones who make those choices. I am so in love with both of those guys. Oh, and they talked about hockey, so and I'm hockey. kind of um, I'm in like Did with you them. know that the majority of influencers are women? Because just like yep. our two guests, Anna, Lydia, Monaco, and Jen Friel. Because according to this post from Brittany Hennessy, please click on link, gentlemen. Oh, in the booth today, we have Thomas and Michael, in case you were wondering who the handsome boys are. Um, women buy more products and are also a larger demographic than men in terms of social media consumption. Women and girls tend to look online for relatable influences and they then trust that person's opinion, style, aesthetic, and ultimately the products and services that they tout. Are we dangerously deferring our own tastes and judgments to those of our digital darlings? Digital darlings. Di- digital darlings. Right. I made that up while I was writing this morning. I You're welcome. That. As far as I can see, it's just a digital version of people being influenced by magazines or by movie stars mm-hmm. or anything exactly. else. Or, or is it more in your face and have our own opinions uh, been more shoved out of the way because of just the constant feed? I think it's I think it's fascinating. One, I disconnect a lot from social media, so I have pretty strict boundaries around when I consume it, kind of when I don't, just because like it's it's too much of information overload, and then I'm I'm diluting my own uh, inspired thoughts and whatever I want to do with the day, just because I'm literally like tuning out of content. So I'm I'm very particular with that. But um, but yeah, I think in in terms of everything else, it's so fascinating. You hit on this with the the posters on the wall because I actually asked this in the office a couple months ago. I was like, do kids nowadays have posters on their walls? Because it was all about that like level of self-expression of like, this is what you were really into. This is how you express yourself. But now we have that digitally. And right. my generation had it as well with like AOL profiles on like AOL 5.0 and then obviously sub profiles on AIM. But it's at like a new level now. So uh, so if anybody has that answer, I would love to, to know. I would love the answer too because it's like they may not look up from their phone long enough to see what's on their wall. <laughs> That's my point. Let alone to wall, hang it their there. Their wall is now their wallpaper on their phone. It's now, you know, images that they put on their Instagram feed. So it's our version of a wall was kind of very different in in terms of it being, you know, tangible versus more digital. No, but- and we, we, we committed to it because once you were going to like put a hole in your actual wall. Right. You were, it was hopeful that you were going to be in love with Bobby Sherman for at least a year. Or Farrah Fawcett. Right. Yeah, or Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> Actually, it was so funny when I was with the modern day shaman last uh, this just a couple months ago. Oh, my I God. I've walked- never heard that sentence before. Not tw- <laughs> certainly not twice. <laughs> We walked into we walked into this uh, one of my favorite bars and uh, and in walked uh, uh, Nick Lachey from Ninety Eight Degrees with his beautiful, beautiful wife and so I, swear, I kid you not not like I was full drink in at this point because I had to like work up the guts to say hi to him but then right after him was Joey Fatone from Insync and Stop. I literally oh, had a heart attack I was like. In sync and 98 degrees are friends. I was like, 13 year old Jen's like, like dream come true. I was so excited. <laughs> and by the way, the Beatles and the Stones were friends. They just made it sound like they were enemies. Right. Good to know. <laughs> that stopped the room. <laughs> yeah. You got. You must be like really old. And they all hung out with Harry Nielsen. Because um, we all know that. No matter who you were, you were with yeah. Harry. Can't live. Can't uh, live without. Can't you. live without you. So that's exciting. So who did you speak to? Both of them. 
Uh, yeah, I did. And I got a really hilarious picture with them because um, I'm like in this oversized shark sweater and they both left room for Jesus. So I look like I'm like four times my like rather petite self. So it's kind of a hilarious picture. Jen, your most recent Talk Nerdy To Me lover blog post features the headline, hashtag that awkward moment when the girl who has a TV show based on her life goes out with the guy who has a movie based on his. Please dish. Bless this dude's heart because now like it's a blog post it's now being talked about in this podcast so he's a hugely successful man in business um he's an entrepreneur done very well for himself and I, I, like it just randomly kind of it, well i'm sure it wasn't random i'm sure he actually put a, a ton of work into it as that's what it takes in hollywood um but when we first went out i i was one intrigued because i'm like how many people can say that they have a movie based on their life and i couldn't get through the movie. I went through 27 minutes of it. Um, I know the movie. It's It was very popular. Um, it just wasn't kind of my thing. And so we met up and uh, and had dinner. And he asked me right out, he's like, do you mind, you know, not writing about this? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I did the 130 dates forever ago. And, and mind you, this was well over a year ago. I think it was like a year and a half ago that we went out. And, uh, and I was like, no big deal, no big deal. And uh, so then we go over to this KCRW event and we're standing in line and this dude I recognized and uh, I called out his name and, I, and his dog had just gone missing and they'd found it. So it was this huge dramatic story that played out in my social media feed. And, uh, and so I'm asking about his dog, so excited to see him. And he goes, you. And like this very low tone, I was like, oh my God. I was like, what? And he's like, I've waited six years to confront you with the blog posts that you wrote about me. And I was <laughs> like, this could not be happening in front of like any worse date. Like, and he didn't even care. He just went to town and it was like right in front of my date. And I just had to own it. And I, I just said to him, I was like, you know, I, I stand by everything that I write. I, I, you know, respectfully disagree with what happened, but you know, it was as polite as I could be considering a super awkward situation. So that's five restraining pause. orders. Yeah, wow. right, exactly. I have kind um, of a similar story in that I blogged about uh, the harassment at the comedy store uh, to female comedians. Oh, and yes. this is the beginning of blogging. So I don't know, it was like 15 years ago. Anyway, like I, I was just like so. I was just like ready to name names and so I just named names and I just like really accurately told what how they treated me as a female comedian and um and then one of the comedians and I like all these guys individually but like it was like Lord of the Flies over there <laughs> all of them together was bad and so one of them said you know my mom read that and can you please take it down and like I don't have brass balls like my balls are more putty and or I don't have balls, uh, but I kind of took his name out of it because like when you're, you're going to invoke your mom. So, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about like we all own our experiences, but then when you put them online and it affects people and their moms, like speak yeah. to that a little bit. I, yeah. well, I, go ahead. You have to be careful, especially if you're working with brands, especially if you're working with Disney, especially if you have like aspirations of working with certain people. I'm not saying dilute yourself, but be really, really careful because online is forever. It's not like a photo we took years ago, just 35 millimeters, and we can throw it at the bottom of our bed and no one else is going to see it. Mm -hmm. Whatever your post will be there forever. So I also have a blog. And what I did is I took out without telling anyone, all of my personal posts are down. Really? I just kept it to art, culture, and entertainment okay. because I'm not building for one job. You know, if I get one job, great, wonderful. I'm building a career. And if you're thinking long term, and I think that's how a lot of people 
mess up. It's like, yeah, I'll do whatever. It doesn't really matter. It, it can, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman of color, like we have very few opportunities to mess up. So like really think about it. Yeah, weigh it. Something. Always be weighing the consequences yeah, with the, the actions. Exactly. Yeah. Like there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. It may not happen, you know, this week I may still get that job, but if how many times have we seen people that are like, oh, we saw this video from two years ago, like that comedian that just got fired for something he said a year ago. Mm-hmm. Things like you can you can do whatever you want. Nobody's telling you not to. However, accept the consequences when they yeah, come. Yeah, it's right. there. Right. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's there. So it's but this is what I told all, you know, all the women that I work with is like if you were sent a product that you did not like and the agreement was you were paid a certain amount of money to write about it and you got the product and everything else was kosher but you hated it It it's like really weigh Mm -hmm. the options i'm not saying lie about it Mm -hmm. but really weigh how you're gonna write about it Mm -hmm. because if you truly want to one day be a fashion lifestyle beauty journalist not just a blogger and then you're gonna have to write like a journalist yeah and that what did you means, feel and what did you think as opposed to oh i gotta make the, the people look good because they gave me the product exactly exactly and that is something that comes with a lot of time and training and experience and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah and a lot of these girls that are on instagram that oh my god bless the hustle like i really am <laughs> like they're on it like four three or four times a day and they're taking all these photos and like they're doing so much stuff but if you're looking at it from like a long-term career, they don't have anything or very few of them do. Are there so many people doing this that at some point it just becomes watered down? Like there's just too much of it? Like how oh, people, God, yeah. like how yeah. people like discern it, between Instagram the ones that, is, the ones yeah, that matter and the ones that don't. Yeah. I, Instagram, I, I called it like a year ago. It's done. <laughs> it's done. Like once your mom, your grandma, you know, everybody's on there. It's done. Same There's a lot Facebook. of pedicures on Instagram. But yeah. Also, pedicures. <laughs> going I back mean, here. And it also yep. depends like where, you know, where your audience is at too. So for example, TikTok, great for preteens, great mm-hmm. for like the under 10 sec. That is exactly where all these kids are, do, you know, are going. YouTube is still big, but how are you going to, you know, set yourself apart from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you have to be, if you're going to be on social, be very cognizant of understanding where your audience is at, not just sign up for everything because, well, it's social media. I can mm-hmm. get an account. And I think we've talked about this before where it's like, I know for my audience, I'm a writer, director, I'm a filmmaker. Most of my audience is on Twitter. Right. So if I have you know, X amount of time, which I also limit my social media, which is very smart that Jen does that. Like I'm not on social media, like all the time. I think that one of the things that people are finding out that being mindful of the time that you spend on social media and being very like thoughtful on what you share versus oversharing actually makes you look better mm-hmm. than, than somebody that's sharing everything. If you're like putting like the one photo you're sharing like that one experience and those two things that is way more impactful than 10 photos curate leave them 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 wanting i want to hear jen talk about uh personal stories and the sharing of your own truth 
Yeah, so that's, thank you so much. No, I, uh, I it's so funny because I have such a different perspective on this. So uh, going back to what you guys were saying earlier, uh, what matters, what doesn't, what it comes down to at the end of the day and anything in social media, whether you're posting, I, I once couldn't go more than 24 hours without people on Twitter being like, where is she? What's going on? So <laughs> I took it to wow. such a degree mm-hmm. in terms of content creation. Now I'm in like the polar opposite. I used to have five blog posts a day going live on Talk Nerdy every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, but it really comes down to what mattering the most is in terms of integrity. It's what content mm-hmm. you're creating, what you're producing. The platforms are irrelevant. And I think people love to get buzzy about like, oh, this is the new latest and greatest thing. It's like, Whatever the the whatever social media platforms are, those are like the wheels to to whatever your blog is. Like that just it just helps with traffic and it helps get people to to have access to you and to understand what's going on. But really, at the end of the day, it's about integrity. And I was up for a gig working actually with the U.S. government, which is like the coolest thing that I could ever say possibly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, I would have gone overseas. And um and so basically, they were like, oh yeah, well to get you the job, we just have to prune you know some of your posts. And I was like then I have to turn down the job because I said I stand by anything I've ever written. And it was my truth in that moment, even if my writing I cringe at now almost 10 years later. Um, but it was my truth in that moment. And that's hugely important to me in terms of my own integrity. So I wasn't I wasn't willing to budge on that. And uh, and they very respectfully uh, went their own way as well. But I was like, come on, like nerdy sex blogger to like secret agent. I was like, that was like such a third act that I never yeah. expected. <laughs> this is going to be a, a one woman play. And that <laughs> happened to one of the bloggers that I work with and she did sex and relationship writing. And she really wanted to work with one of my clients, which was Disney. And I'm like, you can't like, you can't, you don't have the type of content. It's not a match. And yeah. Like this is really, it's going to, and this is before people could really look, all, you know, look further and further back to see what you wrote about. They would just look at the first like 10 blog posts. Unless your you date know. was a bunny rabbit, in which case. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and then it would have been different. And it was a really hard pill for her to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you're going to have opportunities, lots of them, but they're not all going to match what you write about and what you're, you know, and what you do. And it's just something that you have to live with. Like Jen said, you know, her integrity at that moment, not putting anything down was more important than that job. You know, for other people, it's a little bit different. They want that job or they need that job. So therefore they're going to have to make, you know, different, different choices and they might have to explore the world of compromise yeah Um, exactly the appearance the appearance of authenticity is key to being a successful influencer success is often based on embodying it and yet we think of influencers and their tactics as being fake and disassociated from reality there's a concern that too many people particularly kids and teens are affected deeply and their self-esteem can be damaged by influencers aspirational instagram posts Because of these conflicting ideas, influencers have the ability to play around with and subvert what is authentic and real. Like in the case of travel Instagrammer Tuppy Saravia, who used an app to insert fake clouds into her photos. After she was called Uh out on it, the app she used to make the clouds partnered with her and is giving her the opportunity to create custom cloud designs. Fake clouds. Sure, the the situation seems ridiculous, but is absurdity necessary to help illuminate how our digital and offline worlds diverge and does it even matter is this just an extension of show business or does social media look too much like real life for us to differentiate ladies and i 
think this is where people are going to have to be smart Uh-oh. and not just look at the headline. Like I was telling my husband today, don't just look at the headline, read mm-hmm. the article, mm-hmm. you know, see who wrote it, see what their background is. I think that if you take something at face value, again, my experience is in marketing PR. I can look at something. I can tell that it's fake. I can tell when something is, you know, it's a partnership versus some, you know, versus the person actually purchased this item. A young kid, eight, nine, 10 years old, they don't know that. Right. They have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes even teenagers are a little too dense to understand that a thousand dollar purse on their parents, a hundred thousand income is not possible for them, even though their favorite Instagram star has it. And they probably don't even realize that some of these Instagram stars, and because I have personally seen them, true story, go to Century City Mall purchase something, take photos and return it same day Whoa. or take photos while they're at the mall saying, Oh, I just got all these things. They walk out not buying a single thing. Wow. So they don't know that. How do you know that if mm-hmm. these people don't actually, you know, share this? Yeah. The, the way I would look at things, especially lifestyle bloggers, especially people that claim that they did all these different things. It's so easy, especially here in LA. It all, wherever somebody lives tells you a lot about that person. A lot. You know, the car they drive tells you a lot about that person. You know, how new they're, I, I met earlier this year at an art event of all places uh, of fashion. And she claimed that she was a high-end fashion influencer. Her boots were at least five years old and super beat up. But in the photos, she would literally like alter them. So they looked brand new. Wow. So you you don't know. You, you don't know. I think that you have to be very, if you have kids, I have a niece and she'll tell me like, oh, you know, she just saw something on YouTube and she saw one of my videos that I had. And I'm like, you do know that is, I did that for work. I'm like, this is a work thing. And this is how I, I made money. And this is, you, you have to, it's, you yeah. have to be responsible for the people around you to, if you know more, tell them, I can tell. It's teaching them context. Yes. And can everybody else tell? Possibly not. And I think a lot of people are too busy trying to make money very, very quickly. Unfortunately, that they're doing everything that they can in their power, because this is probably, you know, they're at the end of the bubble bursting. And we all know what happened when mode fell apart, like a lot of quote unquote influencers, God knows what the influence, you know, ended up without work without paid campaigns and then they couldn't do anything else and they had to reinvent themselves. And by this time, a lot of them, unfortunately, didn't have the degree that it requires for them to work at a Macy's, at a Disney, to work at the higher level positions that they claim that they're ready for. Mm -hmm. So we have to be responsible for, I feel that whoever it is that's putting something out there has to be responsible, whether you tag it that it's a sponsor post, whether you tag it as an advertising campaign, whether you are real and say, I tried this on and I didn't, you know, I didn't buy it because other people do not know. And especially when you're younger, you don't have that sense of realizing 
you know, my parents can't afford to buy me that thousand dollar purse right. that, you know, but the, 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 the adult grown up version of that is like the news. It's people who have one source. They read that. They believe it as opposed to reading oh, wow. many sources, exactly. weighing it all and coming up with an opinion based on here's what I think is going on. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can you can tell so quickly if you look at somebody's you know, somebody's feet, you see people like I've seen people walk around with the same Starbucks cup. I've seen people go to Disneyland one time a year, take all their photos. They literally do that, take tons of photos because they're go- And then they spread them out throughout a season because their goal is to work for Disney. Uh, so they, t- so it's, so they pretend that they go to Disney all the time. Exactly. Uh, or that they're food influencers and they take photos of tons of stuff that they don't even buy. So they have something to show. So you, somebody young, I don't expect them to understand this. Somebody older with a little bit more common sense, whether or not they have a degree, whether or not they're professional, they should have a little bit more common sense in general to tell somebody younger, like, hey, this could possibly not be real. Well, some may argue that influencers are not all self-obsessed. Some openly strive to create positive change in the world. Influencers that are encouraging positive thinking and behavior are getting more attention, such as those who dominate a niche called study tube, which helps students mm-hmm. get through exams and achieve academic su- success. Would you like to speak to that, Jen? Yeah, no, I just think that, you know, a lot of different things can it can sort of change in terms of brands and influencers and whatnot. But it just sort of, uh, again, I, I just have to keep going back to the fact that it's like, you know, it just comes back to integrity. Mm-hmm. And it really does. And what and what matters in the world? I don't know that we can shake from kids the the compulsion to have a new thing. But really, what matters is what you do and how you live your life, not what you wear and what you possess. Absolutely. And that's going to make even, you but feel even earlier to what to what Anna was saying uh, with a fashion blogger who didn't have the shoes that were, you know, of a certain caliber. I guess maybe I, I just come from a different mold that, you know, for me, I remember I actually did have an investor call me out on my shoes because they were like these vans that were just so run down from all the adventures that I was having. And he was actually kind of offended by it, which I thought was funny. So I came back for the next meeting with a sponsorship from Blowfish Shoes, and uh, I never, <laughs> I go. never wore, I never wore used shoes around them. So again, I just feel like it, a lot of this stuff, no matter what, at the end of the day, it just all comes back to integrity. Whether you're uh, creating the content, whether you're consuming the content, I think that's just, you know, that comes down to you and, and the platforms and how we consume that are a bit irrelevant. No, I'm being sponsored by Old Dirty Slippers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Influen- I, think I think there's a lot of influencers and and people that I call influencers are actually people that influence behavior. They Mm. change behavior that influence how you shop, where you shop, because there's also reverse influence. You might see something that let's say you hate on Kylie Jenner or any of the Kardashians and you won't buy anything that they touch. That's reverse influence. Mm. But if somebody has a positive influence, let's say it's somebody that writes, there's a lot of um, poets on Instagram um, that write like daily posts and it's really encouraged a young number of young fans of books to Mm. go to these huge literary events that Mm. you would never think because of this poetry and work that they're posting. Same with artwork. Like you might not see posters, but whenever I go to art events or cultural events, I'm starting to see younger and younger kids being really interested in somebody's piece of work in um, like little zines and poetry and like 
artwork that is created by hands by these kids that haven't even gone to art school yet, but then they're super creative. I love that. So there's that, there's that positive element mm -hmm. of, of the social media aspect, you know, but we can't ignore and dismiss that there is this very ugly, negative part of it that even older people take part of because as you know, Jen was talking about being bullied by these young kids and we're all assuming bullies are young kids. I've been bullied by older women online. Mm -hmm. Really? And it happens. There's like actual bully groups like Get Off My Internet. It's an actual website what? where women go and bully other bloggers. Oh, my God. So there's and these are adults. They're, they're not kids. So there's actual hate going on online. And it comes from all places. It comes from moms and comes from young kids. Obviously, young kids are much more impressionable. But, you know, somebody older, it might, you know, make them lose a job. There's a new it term might, blogger bully. Yeah, there's tons of that rolls right off there. your tongue. Yeah. Well, influencers are overwhelmingly white women, but we're really starting to have a conversation about it. Like this summer when the brand Altered State was called out for not inviting women of color on a press trip. Brand yep. suffering representation fails are put on Twitter blast and those who get it right are rewarded. So will mm -hmm. the influencer marketing trend lead to more diversity in advertising? It's been it's been a conversation that's been happening as long as I've been working in PR and mm -hmm. as long as I've been working in marketing. And the goal, the dream is that we'll see more diversity. It's a conversation that is going to continue to happen because at the end of the day, the people that um, pay for these campaigns and they pay for influencers and that invite them are people that are sitting at the table. And by and large, they're mostly white men. Mm. Um, and the few women that are there that happen to be white, sometimes see diversity as being a black and white thing. And they're like, oh, well, we brought in one black influencer. That should be enough. No, <laughs> <laughs> there is like African-American, but there's also Hispanics. Like Hispanics are like the number one minority in the U.S. There's also Asians. There's also South Asians. It's like, and they all have their individual communities and it's been proven time and time again that brown and black women shape culture like no others. Yeah. So the fact that um, agencies and brands are still not bringing and hiring people at the decision-making level to create, manage, and produce these campaigns, it's quite sad. This is going to continue to happen and, and brands are going to be continue to be dragged out because there's very, very, very few people at the top making these money decisions and these influencers and these people, you know, digital marketers, whatever, they're going to continue to call them out. This is going to be a continual, uh, unfortunate, you know, problem that's going to happen. And I don't know that we're going to see a major shift in change for several years. We will when we at get more people at the table. More representation of well, yeah. And then that's a, like a separate conversation that we can have because mm -hmm. like how many people do we need at the table and where do we find those people? I was just talking to someone in the arts community, highly, highly influential person that curates and brings artists at major institutions here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And she was discussing how even if she wants more Latino and Latino artists, many of them are not represented by traditional, you know, places that they go to to look for them. Is one of you being arrested? So, yeah. 
Oh, sorry, guys. Right, uh, I'm in the office right now, and we're right next to a fire station. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, there's my dog in here too. So he's the head of our HR department. So uh, he's actually featured in Forbes. Yeah. That talk about diversity. Yes. Uh, hey, we do. Yeah. Canine represent. But I think in terms of diversity, going back to your point, I think we're seeing it now in terms of fashion with body inclusion and like where all bodies have to be represented. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's, I mean, I say this as a white woman, you know, from Connecticut. So I, maybe my view is obviously very whitewashed and slanted, but, um, but I know uh, from certain Hollywood uh, producers and whatnot that they have like a diversity quota, which I actually almost want to take offense with to a certain degree that it's like, whoa, we need a quota for this. But it's true that if someone has uh, this one particular has this first look deal uh, with CBS, actually, and, uh, and I don't know if this is just true of CBS or other networks, but basically they uh, have mandated that they have to pitch content with uh, with all these different uh, ethnicities and, and uh, sexualities uh, being represented, which I thought was amazing. I had no idea. And it's funny because CBS has the least amount of representation and they got major heat earlier this year. Then that's um, probably why. Yeah. Yeah. Like, may, so maybe this is something new because it's not there yet. It's, it's a very, very, very problematic and it's going to take time. Like we want it. And the quotas that you brought up, I'd love to see that. Like I work on major films and trust that I am usually the only brown woman in the crew very and there's no quotas and these are union like you get rewarded by getting certain stamps like that a woman in film has a stamp that they'll give certain productions if they hire x amount of women but usually not women of color or brown women there's no stamp for that i think those quotas and directives really help though because they're good starters it's like it's like training wheels on a bike it's like once 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 that's put into motion and those people are in and they, you know, everyone says, "Hey, this is great. This works." Th- then it becomes more natural and becomes, more than you know, normal. absorbed by the system. Well, clo- oh God, yeah. Closely- and here's to hoping that they continue, but there's no stamp, unfortunately, for hiring more brown people, more Asian people, more black people in films or in TV shows. There is a stamp, the reframe stamp, stamp from women in film that um, certain films. Booksmart was a reframe recipient this year for hiring X amount of women, which unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, are mostly white women. So there is a major, major, major issue for representation of people of color in film and TV and advertising and marketing and media and until we have those top levels. Right. There's going to be some stumbles like anything, you know. Well, closely examining influencers brings negatives and positives into relief. Of course, we have extreme selfie angles and facial feature removing filters. And on the upside, we have increased opportunities for women and minorities and the presence of supportive communities. So I'd like to end by jumping to what's Twitter trending. And what I found Twitter trending today, I think had to do with Anna Wintour or something she was rolling out. I didn't pay. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually tweeted about that, too. Oh, good. So it was hashtag how to be a boss. And I think, you know, here we are representing bosses, right? Yeah. James Koser tweets, do the opposite of Donald Trump. Um, No more explanation needed. I think a little bit more explanation is needed uh, as per today. Don't clog L.A. traffic. Do the opposite Ah. of Donald Trump. (laughs) And from Beth Freight's MD, we have... Hashtag how to be a boss. One, lead by example. Two, do what you say. Three, say what you mean. Four, acknowledge efforts of others. Five, be authentic and unleash your passion. 
And I think that that's all excellent advice on how to be a boss. I want to thank our guests, Anna Monaco and Jen Friel, and our panel, Danny Mann. Can I just say how enlightening today was? Because when I first heard what you were doing, I thought we were going to be talking about influenza. Oh. <laughs> so, so this has been a real eye-opener. Also a worthy topic. Yes. Our producer is Dina Friedman, who put together this awesome rundown Yay, for, for today while away in Europe. Our tech team is Michael Tellup and Thomas Hubble. Our sound mixer is John Maddox. Our webmaster is Bill Filipiak. Next week, Jamie Alcroft will be back with Bob Dubeck. I am your host, Louise Palenker. Be safe, be well, be kind. Bye-bye.